0: This is the Master Plan. I am Alex Madamohoritis. On August 8, 2023, the World Meteorological Organization reported that the Copernicus Climate Change Service, which was implemented by the European Center for Medium to Range Weather Forecasts on behalf of the European Commission, confirmed that July 2023 was the hottest month ever recorded. Samantha Burgess, the Deputy Director of the Copernicus Climate Change Service, said that we just witnessed global air temperatures and global ocean surface temperatures set new all-time records in July. These records have dire consequences for both people and the planet, as they expose us to ever more frequent and intense extreme events. 2023 is currently the third warmest year to date at 0.43 degrees celsius above the recent average with the average global temperature in july at 1.5 degrees celsius above pre-industrial levels even if this is only temporary it shows how urgent the ambitious efforts to reduce global greenhouse gas emissions are which are the main driver behind these records sadly though still For many people, climate change is a buzzword, a concept, rather than a reality. It's thrown around now and then in conversations, usually to end them. It's something that is not an immediate concern and is now taken for granted. However, this is a reality for millions of climate refugees who live on the front lines of the climate crisis. For someone living in a cushy apartment, it's a rainy day, but for others, it's a flood that threatens their home and livelihood. For them, it's very real, and it's happening now. And as this threat of climate change increases globally, millions of people will find themselves on the precipice of vulnerability. If we continue like this, according to some estimates, there could even be 1.2 billion climate refugees by 2050. Greenpeace UK's journalism project called Unearthed shed light on the hardships faced by a farmer from Kenya named Susan Akal. The continuous arid conditions dried up their local pasture and water, and it eventually killed their livestock, which was their means of survival. Let's listen to the video, and later we'll hear more from Reda Petravichute and Julia Thomas, who produced this special episode on climate migration. <laughs>
1: Kenya is experiencing the most prolonged and severe drought it's seen in decades. It's linked to climate change and it's forcing people to move. With little access to food or water, Susan and her six children had to walk close to 250 kilometres across Kenya to find somewhere new to live. Climate crisis is forcing displacement on women who've had to uproot their families, livelihoods, and even parts of their identity. This is what climate migration looks like today.
2: Um, extreme weather events and rising sea levels, they are forcing millions of people like Susan Akal to leave their homes in search of safer and more habitable places. So today Reda and I would like to delve into the consequences of natural disasters and the social impacts of climate migration. So uh, cross-border migration in specific is what we're uh, focusing on. And globally, the system of sealed borders and hostile migration policy is very dysfunctional, and it doesn't work for anyone's benefit. So we are here to highlight the solutions and benefits that migration presents, rather than solely focusing on the negative effects.
0: Wonderful. Um, Definitely a very important topic, Uh, one that I'm really looking forward to dive into with you. Uh, Maybe... We can start with how this whole thing started, right? And assume it's natural disasters that affect the livelihood of people, right?
2: Yes. So uh, for most people, climate change is a buzzword. It's thrown around now and then in most conversations. Uh, it's something that's not an immediate concern, and we take that for granted. But this is a reality for millions of climate refugees who live on the front lines of the climate crisis. For someone living in a cushy apartment, it's a rainy day, but for others, it's a flood that threatens their home and livelihood. Uh, For them, it's very real and it's happening now. And as this threat of climate change increases globally, millions of people will find themselves on the precipice of vulnerability. And this could be 1.2 billion climate refugees by 2050.
0: Who who are these people? Who are these climate refugees and Where are they? Which are the areas of the world that are considered the hotspots of migration?
1: Yeah, it is very interesting because climate migrants are often called as the world's forgotten victims, uh, meaning that international laws give no protection to those displaced because of the climate change. And we actually can't even agree on who counts as a climate refugee. And just like several years ago, UN Human Rights Council found that many climate refugees don't fit into the definition of refugees in general. So this means that they can get access to legal protections and to basic human rights, right? But what we do know about climate migrants is that the majority of them reside in the coastal areas. And over like the last 30 years, the number of people living in the coastal areas at high risk of rising sea levels has increased like more than one hundred million by more more than one hundred million, and the majority of them are the people from poor developing countries and small island states. yeah, so we have some photographs for us just to look at and to imagine how do these people feel. We can see the farmers in front of the barren land with their failed crops under the burning sun, and it just shows the dev- devastating effects of prolonged drought and climate change that has brought to that man's life. And usually land degradation is the most common long-term reason for migration because a person's life is usually dependent on agricultural land there. And the nature, duration, and the scale of environmental migration depends on whether it is affected by slow processes, for example, as we're focusing here like the sea level rise or increasing temperatures, or certain events like floods or cyclone storms, et cetera.
0: I see. So let's let's dive a bit deeper. Let's talk a bit more about how climate migrants are impacted by climate change. How does it usually look?
2: Right. So for example, in Alaska, uh, indigenous communities have been watching their villages wash away for decades as permafrost melts at, an, at a very alarming rate. And uh, tribal residents along the coast of Louisiana lose a football field's worth of land to the Gulf of Mexico every 90 minutes due to rising sea levels, which are triggered by the fossil fuel industry. And in Bangladesh, rural residents are fleeing to low-lying cities to escape the frequent flooding and the loss of farmland. And nations in the Pacific Ocean, like Kiribati, are calling for action as their islands are slowly submerging. This list goes on and on. And uh, we also came across this story of Jorge, who is a farmer in Guatemala. Um, Everything was going well in his fields for five years. It never rained, and his crops were healthy. But then disaster struck when the river flooded, and there came a situation where he had to wade into the water to try and save some cobs of corn so he could feed his family. And this is because of this phenomenon called El Nino, which is expected to become more frequent, as the planet wants.
1: Yes, but what is very important to say that it's not where the problem lies. It's not the climate change itself that possesses the greatest threat for those people, because climate migration has been inevitable natural phenomena since humans started like walking on Earth, right? Migration has been a fundamental part of human history, allowing people to adapt. And migration is what led us to civilizations and to cities. And this century will be dominated with a human movement on a scale that has never been seen before. And the question is, how will cities cope with it? Uh, And what we are seeing now with the regular migration is that it is rather the border policies that have the power to cost lives, to prohibit the natural right to move and to spark conflict. And we could basically speculate here on two future scenarios. One, if European countries continue to turn their backs, the situation could inevitably lead to huge conflicts over resources. Or two, if well-managed, could be a salvation both for welcoming countries and both for the migrants.
0: You know what would help maybe is if we actually looked at the climate migrants' journey, uh, understand what are their possibilities to move, how do they feel, where do they end up, so maybe let's begin by looking at the situation from the migrants' perspective, right? What is their journey like? This might cause a lot of psychological constraints for them as well, right?
1: Yes, 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 for sure, definitely. And the climate migrant journey, uh, it definitely uncovers how complex the whole dynamics of their di- displacement is. Uh, we found one scientist, ib Carlson, and her colleagues that has done a research, a recent one, that has focused on individuals who migrated from eroding island in the coastal Bangladesh to Dhaka, so migration towards the city. And it showed that many of them ended up in even worse conditions. And they, they evaluated their emotional state and found out that they feel more trapped in the city than they were before leaving the Iceland because of the depleted essence. And many people are caught in this situation of, we can call it limbo, Uh, unable to fully transition for a permanent settlement. right? And it is essential to recognize that most migrants don't want to leave their homes. They try to make adjustments to minimize such drastic changes of, of displacement, initially seeking refuge in larger towns or cities. And it is only when these peoples fail to provide the necessary security and stability that they consider crossing the borders Embarking on very risky journeys. And this pattern of migration is called stepwise migration, which means that leaving their villages for cities. And leaving a village for the city is hard enough. Crossing into a foreign land is an entirely different trial, which in many cases again throws people back into limbo, being unable to afford homes, being rejected at the border, and having a need to move again
0: maybe then let's let's focus on the welcoming countries I, I assume europe has been you know it's been at the center at the epicenter of our uh of the discussion in recent times so their stand on the problem their attitude the potential benefits for both welcoming countries and migrants are very important to unpack so let's focus on this the cross border migration europe as a destination in particular well developed countries that will be very popular destinations for uh, of climate migration such as Sweden Germany the UK what is their current stand on this problem
2: So it's interesting that among scholars very less attention has been gone to the places that receive migrants and how their arrival might affect adaptation at these destinations So uh, in recent years Europe and the United States have, if anything, tightened their immigration policies and shown growing skepticism towards migrants, and studies showing that negative attitudes are more ingrained in the older generations. on the other hand, surveys carried out in Europe suggest that millennials and the gen Z have more positive opinions of immigration
0: interesting oh it almost it's almost an intuitive reaction, uh, result or uh, realization. Uh, So maybe again, so how can these well-developed countries benefit from this inflow of migrants? Can we flip this crisis into somehow an opportunity? Is there a positive side?
2: For sure, definitely there is a positive side. So to reap the demographic and economic benefits of immigration, we need more forward-thinking policies that consider the long-term impact of migration. It would reduce population decline. It would keep the size of the labor force from shrinking, improve the age dependency ratios, and also develop the economic activity of these welcoming countries. So it's important to promote open immigration policies that support this social cohesion and mutual understanding. So um, picture this. Uh, North America and Europe are grappling with the demographic conundrum. Uh, both of them have 300 million people above the traditional retirement age. And by 2050, the number of elderly persons is projected to surpass the working age population. So imagine the economic challenges, the strains on resources and the dependence on a, on a very dwindling labor force. Cities from uh, Munich to Buffalo will begin competing with each other to attract migrants. From a demographic point of view, an increase in immigration flows, especially of young people, to the advanced economies in the north. It seems very desirable. From a policy standpoint, this means increasing the number of immigrants allowed, reducing their constraints on immigration, and planning for future inflows. And it's also very important
1: to mention that the influx of immigrants into countries experiencing population decline would not only address the the issue of the population, but it also would have a positive impact on the country's age structures. Because migrants are usually younger than the natives in the receiving country, and relative to natives, a larger proportion of immigrants are working age. So therefore, new immigrants increase the size of the labor force of various sectors, including like healthcare, construction, and services, and then countering its natural decline in the advanced economies of the North, where people are aging out of the group at a faster rate than the young are entering. And it's also increasingly difficult to sustain pay-as-you-go pension system uh, in these rapidly aging countries, which only in a few decades have gone from having 10 working people per retire to just three or four. So in the future, climate migrants should be desirable, we could even say that. And net immigration could help ensure the population stability or growth, as Julia was saying, in the aging advanced economies. And this will happen only if we consider their long run impact, rather than focusing only on short term calculations of their mostly political costs. Yeah, and it, it all comes down on how humanely do we treat each other as we migrate, right?
0: That's so important, right? I mean, let's let's start looking at some local solutions. I want to understand how this can actually work on a practical level. How can we treat each other more humanely, as you said? What are some of the local solutions that could be done, or currently, uh, or are currently done uh, locally to avoid the migration in the first place?
2: So relocation before the disaster would be a good preemptive tactic. And um, another potential solution would be to create job opportunities in societies threatened by environmental change. So, for example, in Bangladesh, cyclones causing floods have increased the salinity of uh, 53% of farmland. And this means that farmers are unable to grow their normal crops, which poses a deadly threat to communities who rely on agriculture for their survival. And one more way to stabilize the local environment Uh, Bangladesh is home to more than 900,000 Rohingya refugees from Myanmar, many of whom live in refugee camps. And to prevent these political refugees from becoming climate refugees, the UNHRC is working with local partners to plant fast-growing trees in parts of these refugee camps that are prone to landslides during monsoon storms in order to stabilize the ground.
1: And also there's a a Dutch uh, research project called Salt Solution, where some local NGOs are teaching farmers to grow salt-tolerant crops. So far 10,000 farmers have received training resulting on two or three extra years per har- harvest per year. That's amazing, right? And from a global scale, at COP27 and at uh, 22 a breakthrough agreement was reached to provide a loss and damage funding for the vulnerable countries hit by climate disasters, which is one of its first kind. And what is really central for the climate displacement right now is making sure that there are enough resources towards the adaptation so that people not only have the option to move, but also have an option to stay. That's what what they want.
0: That's wonderful. I'm glad to see that at least we have some um, understanding of local solutions uh, that can prevent migration from happening in the first place. But what about solutions in the welcoming countries? And What about this cross-border migration to European cities? Is, accommod- is accommodating climate migrants in already dense cities the best solution to this problem, in your view? From examples that we see today, doesn't this lead to a lot of conflict and chaos?
2: So, uh, for all the ways in which human migration is hard to predict, one trend is pretty clear. Around the world, as people run short of food and abandoned farms, they gravitate towards cities which quickly grow overcrowded. And this inflow of new people stretches the limits of infrastructure, resources, and services. And uh, also migration researchers warn that this will lead to the most severe strains on society. Food has to be imported, which puts pressure on already struggling farms and increases its cost. And people will gather in slums with little water or electricity where they are more vulnerable to flooding or other disasters. And these slums fuel extremism and chaos. For example, in Syria, it is sadly not unusual that there's a strong correlation between countries most vulnerable to climate change and those experiencing conflict or violence. And according to the UNHCR's report on global trends, 95% uh, 95% of all conflict displacement occurred in countries that were highly vulnerable to climate change.
0: Is there a way to create benefits for both the hosting country and the climate migrants, find a win-win solution here?
1: Yeah, definitely there is. there should be. There should be more. <laughs> but uh, uh, I think that we, uh, as an urban technologist, especially working in cities, we, we shouldn't just consider only cities host as a solution. Uh, rural areas hold a lot of promise as well. Uh, for a migrant whose main migration reason was the land degradation at home, this is enormous benefit and for the hosting country as well. We are seeing huge depopulation and even complete abandonment of little villages in countries like Switzerland or Italy. So by distributing the impact of migration and systematically investing in adjustments of infrastructure, education, healthcare, the potential of rural settlement revival can be maximized. And this approach not only helps to stabilize the population, but also would foster social integration, which would give them profound sense of belonging to a place and getting back to migrant stash with land. Uh, We found one interesting story, actually, about uh, Meinheim. Meinheim, that once was an ancient village that used to host around 2,000 people, became a ghost town because of the expanding nearby coal mine, uh, one of the biggest in Europe. And the locals were moved to another town nearby. And what is interesting is that Germany's government has decided to move hundreds of refugees there and so they started to live in ancient farmhouses and small family bungalows with cheap rents, kindergarten, elementary school, even indoor pool, with an average population aged lower than 30. It might sound an utopia, but this could serve as a experimental model. Why not?
0: Definitely. And what about other countries? Are there any other countries that are implementing this kind of uh, rural strategies already?
1: Yes, yes, there are some countries, for example, Sweden, Finland, Italy, Portugal, they they have programs that provide support for housing and entrepreneurship and infrastructure developments in rural regions for the migrants, uh, which could compel them to move to the rural settlements. I see.
0: So maybe now let's make a switch to more of our comfort zone. We are urban technologists at the end of the day. So maybe we can explore a bit of the solutions from our perspective and you know, all the urban technologists, the designers, the planners perspective. As urban technologists, what are some of the solutions that could be provided in your view? Does data play an important role here?
1: Yes, it sure does. <laughs> well, first of all, research is a very important first step to understand the current patterns of migration flows. and we might explain something for the listeners who might not be from the urban technology uh, field, what are some terms, what is happening in the field right now. So some interesting things with AI. Uh, AI is now being used to predict patterns and routes for migration. So for example, uh, one scientific paper, a very famous one talks about how machine learning can predict climate migration patterns in specific in the United States and what what was the process of for example collecting the data so they collected a very big data set of climate variables socioeconomic factors right historical migration patterns from various sources and including temperature sea level rise etc and this data set covered several deca- decades of data which enabled them to analyze long term trends and their patterns which is very important And then applying advanced machine learning algorithms, the researchers trained model to identify the relationship between the climate variables and migration flows. And also, it is uh, possible to predict vulnerable areas, not only uh, to identify the past, but also predict in the future. That could be potential and the potential lead of displacement of its population. So, before mentioned example of Bangladesh. Uh, they have been actively using remote sensing technologies to monitor climate-related changes and plan for climate migration. Just by analyzing remote sensing data, the government identified regions and the communities at high risk of climate displacement. Uh, what else? It's um, not only the data analysis that we're uh, doing here a lot, but also data collection itself it plays a very important role and uh, now technologies are increasingly being adopted at the borders to both control and assist with migration and examples include border su- surveillance systems that utilize technologies such as CTV cameras radar systems and drones to monitor to detect the illegal border crossings but actually there's <laughs> with this thing there's one Big issue, big problem. Climate migrants are often vulnerable to human rights violations, especially at the borders. So, for example, last year, human rights watched accused Frontex, the European Border and Coast Guard agency, of using its drones and aircraft to locate and report refugee boats to the Libyan Coast Guard, who brought them back to Libya, where they experienced severe violence.
0: Damn. Yeah. I mean, basically what you're saying is that technology ethics plays an important role here in understanding, assessing and monitoring the situation in these patterns. So, how can we ensure more humane actions at the border?
2: So, uh, it's interesting that you ask that because just last Wednesday, the European Parliament voted to approve the EU's first act regulating AI which banned some potentially abusive AI technology that could have been used to track and control or deny people seeking refuge in Europe uh, instead of as a tool to save them. And there are also some bans on the use of such technologies that protect human rights. For example, uh, emotion recognition systems and biometric categorization system uh, that allowed identifying the exact place of origin of a person by analyzing how they speak. And this is a very controversial point of discussion because it's usually done uh, without the person's consent.
0: And what if we talk not only about borders but the cities themselves? Are there any examples uh, that you found of existing policies that focus on humane treatment of migrants that are actually successful?
2: Uh, Yes, there are some, but uh, not many. Uh, Finland, for example, has implemented a housing-first approach, which is not specific to migrants, but inclusive of them. And it prioritizes providing uh, immediate and also permanent housing for individuals who experience homelessness, and this includes the refugees. So uh, the approach focuses on securing stable accommodation first and then offering necessary support services. And it's been quite successful in integrating migrants within the housing system.
0: It does sound that there's a lot of investment going into this housing solution. Uh, Is that the case? Uh, Why is it beneficial for Finland?
2: Yes, there's been a lot of investment, and it is definitely beneficial because Uh, let's face it, creating housing for people, it costs money. And in the past 10 years, 270 million euros were spent on the construction, purchase and renovation of housing as part of this Housing First program. And this is far less than the cost of homelessness itself because when people are in emergency situations like assaults, injuries and breakdowns, the police, healthcare and justice systems are often called upon to step in. And this also costs money. Um, for example, Juha Kakinen, who is the CEO of a non-profit Y Foundation, who works on uh, providing shelters for homeless people, says that housing first is actually cheaper than accepting homelessness. Uh, now the state spends 15,000 euros less per year per homeless person than before. So we believe that Finland could be a really good example for many European countries.
0: Definitely seems like it could and it should. Um, Well, thank you so much for shining a light on such an important topic. Uh, I think it's about time that we finally draw some attention to this and talk about this. Uh, Are there any final thoughts or comments uh, that you would like to add?
2: Uh, Yes, I think, uh, so as we mentioned earlier, climate migration is inevitable. For some it's today, for others it's in 10 years. And these stories of climate migration serve as a reminder that the impacts of climate change extend far beyond the environmental concerns. And what we need is collective action, international cooperation, and most importantly, empathy to support those affected by climate-related displacement where will they go will soon turn into where will we go and this forethought might just be our saving grace. What about you? (laughs) I agree!
0: Masterplan is a project of Ajax Master in City and Technology, a program that is redefining the analysis, planning, and design of cities around the world. The show is produced at the Institute for Advanced Architecture of Catalonia, located in sunny, ever-so-beautiful Barcelona.